Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our positional ranking series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Eastern Conference power forwards. So, Jalen, who are your top 10 Eastern Conference power forwards? Man, this is actually probably the best list in the Eastern Conference for me personally. Um, we're going to start at number 10. Number 10 is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. At number nine, John Collins of the Atlanta Hawks. At number eight, we have Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers. At number seven, I've got Tobias Harris of the Philadelphia 76ers. At number six, I've got DeMontis Sabonis of the Indiana Pacers. At number five, I have Blake Griffin of the Detroit Pistons. At number four, I have Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors. At number three, I have Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat. At number two, I have Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. And at number one, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks. So at number 10, I have John Collins of the Atlanta Hawks. Number nine, I have Julius Randle of the New York Knicks. Number eight, I have DeMontis Sabonis of the Indiana Pacers. Number seven, I have Blake Griffin of the Detroit Pistons. Number six, I have Tobias Harris of the Philadelphia 76ers. Number five, I have Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Number four, I have Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat. Number three, I have Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors. Number two, I have Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. And number one, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, so we're going to first tackle the elephant in the room. The first one that we have to take a look at is the fact that you have a guy in Julius Randle on this list. Now, for people who have listened, have been listening to the Hoop Talk podcast for a while, you may or may not know that Ryan has a little bit of an affinity for the New York Knicks. Whether or not he wants to admit that is for his own conjunction. But why is it that you have Julius Randle at number nine considering the fact that he's a guy who does put up very good individual stats but doesn't seem to have very much of an impact on winning basketball games. So Julius Randle has had a steady improvement throughout his career. Um, And I think it started when he left Los Angeles. If you look at the year that he left Los Angeles and went to New Orleans, he averaged 21 points a game, close to nine rebounds, shot 52% from the field. And then he actually improved on that year as well. He averaged close to 20 points a game and averaged close to 10 rebounds a game while shooting 46% from the floor. So there is that steady improvement that he's had throughout his career. And I think that he's maybe one of the more underrated power forwards. If you think about the trajectory his career has gone since leaving Los Angeles, it's improved. And I think that with a guy like Julius Randle, he could help a very young Knicks team find their identity. And I think that the Knicks really had a a good draft. They got Emmanuel quickly. They got Obi Toppin. So I think Julius Randle can provide not only the veteran leadership for a young team, but maybe help them 
be a competitive team in an Eastern Conference that continues to get better. And I personally like Julius. I mean, um, in New Orleans, he was 20 and 8. Um, he was a guy who like burst on the scene instantly. It's really unfortunate that we have to keep looking at these guys' careers, um, post-Laker um, careers, basically. If you go down the list, you know, it starts with D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball to a lesser degree, Brandon, um, uh, Kyle Kuzma to a lesser degree as well. Um, you know, circumstances like those, Kyle Kuzma is going to be the next one. I feel like that we're going to see. He did just get a little bit of a three-year extension. I think that might have been able to sweet up, sweet up his trade value. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think this is a guy who's going to be um, a long-term asset for the Lakers just because, you know, I don't really see what he earned from the playoffs last year. You know what I mean? But that's for a different day. In terms of Julius Randle individually, I do like him as a power forward. My biggest concerns for him is where he stands in this rotation. Clearly, the young guys right now are the ones that they want to develop. Tom Thibodeau being the coach or not, this is still a young team that has guys that, you know, they're going to want to build up. And they picked Obi Toppin at Julius Randle's position at eight. So the question comes, how much time are they going to split? I mean, another thing to take into consideration is during the preseason, it actually seemed as though the young guys being on the court performed a lot better. And specifically at that position, Obi Toppin outperformed both um, Julius Randle and I believe the other power forward they have is Taj Gibson right now. So under those circumstances, my question will be whether or not Julius Randle is still on this team by the end of this year, despite being a young building block himself. Um, I don't know, man. I think the biggest thing with him is I just wonder about his overall game. He's still a guy who, like I said beforehand, doesn't really impact the winning aspect of it that much. But I'll kind of touch on that by segueing into this. Aaron Gordon is a guy who I have on my list that you don't have. And one could argue that Aaron Gordon is a a B-level player, I'll say. A guy that – which which is a lot of what Orlando has is B-level players across the board. And he's a guy who doesn't necessarily propel you past being an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, has seeing him and the Orlando Magic constantly hit the same ceiling been a part of what's made you lower on him to not have him on in your top 10? Or is there something else about his game that kind of makes you a little bit higher on a guy like Randall in support in, in opposition to a guy like Gordon? So statistically, Julius Randall is putting up better numbers than Aaron Gordon. Julius Randall last season averaged close to 20 and 10 a game. Aaron Gordon averaged close to 14 and eight a game. However, I don't think Aaron Gordon is a bad player. I just think that he is an honorable mention, in my opinion, for my list. But he is only an honorable mention considering the fact that the power forward position in the Eastern Conference is loaded with talent. If we looked at all the names that we listed off on our list, all of them are top 10 worthy players in their position. Some of them top five in the league, like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jason Tatum. But if you think about where Aaron Gordon is placed in terms of an Orlando team that always seems to sneak into the playoffs as a seven or an eight seed, I kind of worry Orlando is just going to be that, a playoff team that always sneaks in as a seven or an eight seed, and they're never going to be able to reach 
the second seed or the first seed in the Eastern Conference. They have a lot of talent on their team, and you mentioned that they have a lot of starter caliber players on their team, like Aaron Gordon, like Nikola Vucevic. It's just a matter of where their ceiling is. Aaron Gordon is one of the better players on their team, and he's a guy that is always talked about when people mention the Orlando Magic. So I kind of want Aaron Gordon and the Orlando Magic to succeed, and hopefully their ceiling is more than just the seventh or an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and I think the funny part about Aaron Gordon is I feel like his true, true potential won't be unlocked until he's become a third option on a championship caliber team because I feel like that's where he's landed at. And I know we've had this conversation beforehand that um, we had this conversation with Brooks actually a couple months ago where the question kind of was, where does Aaron Gordon stand as a player? And one of the biggest things that I said is I think that he can be the second or third best option on the championship championship team. Brooks disagreed with me and made good points as to why being, you know, about the fact that he's not really, doesn't have any ball handling assets. One of his biggest, one of his biggest assets is his athleticism, which doesn't age well, obviously over the course of time. We've seen that with a lot of guards, but, um, Big men also, it really hurts being a primary dunker. Now, Aaron Gordon has improved as a three-point shooter, which is huge. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think with Julius Randle and Aaron Gordon, I think it's a, I think it's a toss-up. I think this season will tell us a lot because Aaron Gordon is going to be thrusted into another spot once again um, where he has to kind of be dominant at the power forward slash center position because there's no Jonathan Isaac for the year. Now, you know, last year there was kind of a bouncing around. Jonathan Isaac was in and out of the lineup. When he was in the lineup, he was a defensive player of the year candidate. When he wasn't in the lineup, well, obviously the Magic struggled a lot. So I think Aaron Gordon, the interesting thing about Aaron Gordon is with Jonathan uh, Jonathan Isaac healthy, he's not even the best player on his team. You could argue that Julius Randle is talent-wise the best player on the New York Knicks. And I think that would probably be your best bet in terms of making this a toss-up. I think the question would just come down to overall skill set. But I think it's a toss-up. Who's somebody else that you want to take a look at on this list? So spots five through eight. So for my um, list at five through eight, I had Kevin Love, Tobias Harris, Blake Griffin, and DeMontis Sabonis. So – I'm intrigued because you and I have the same players, but at different spots. Can you defend why each player is at each ranking? So I'm in a really weird place with this one. I saw that you were extremely high on Kevin Love, and I think that's just because we've had the conversation beforehand. You just have a greater belief in Kevin Love's upside as a player moving forward. I still kind of feel like the jury's out because, A, injury history concerns me, which – I did, I did to a certain extent, factor with Blake Griffin because I do feel like Blake Griffin could actually be better than Pascal Siakam or Bam Adebayo when fully healthy. Um, putting him at five was just simply factoring in the fact that he is somebody who is a bit injury prone. Um, but Kevin Love is a guy who is in that same ilk. But he's he's a guy for this for this Cleveland team, specifically projecting for this season. He's a guy for this Cleveland team, man, that I think is going to get He's going to get phased out of this offense. They've got guys that they te- they definitely want to take a look at. I think Andre Drummond is a guy that I'm thinking they want to like help work work into. I think losing Tristan Thompson puts a lot more emphasis on the fact that Andre Drummond is a guy they're going to want to keep rather than that rather than a guy that picks up his player option just for them to move on from. So, 
I think that's going to be huge. I think the other thing about this team specifically is that you see it already. They have guys in Kevin Porter Jr., even Isaac Okoro, who have already kind of bounced off the page and popped off with a a couple of really nice performances. Isaac had an 18-point outing in his first preseason game with a game winner, I think, in the first or the second game. Um, This is a team that is going to be very guard-heavy. This is a team that is going to be very – backcourt centric basically the same thing but in terms of just specifically they're they're two guys up top I think Darius Garland is a guy that they're expecting to make a big jump and Colin Sexton has been a guy who I think is a bit underrated at the point guard position with what he's done especially at the at the size that he's on he actually plays pretty pretty prof um pretty decent defense for his size considering the NBA structure of point guards nowadays being bigger and then on top of that he is a 20 point per game scorer so I think Colin Sexton is a pretty solid um so I just think that Kevin Love's gonna slowly get phased out now if he ends up on a different team I think Kevin Love could easily especially depending on the system I think Kevin Love could easily move up this list a guy in Tobias Harris I actually put over top of Kevin Love because I feel like now Tobias Harris is put in a position to do exactly what we know he can do. The biggest thing with Tobias Harris last year was what? They turned Tobias Harris into Philly's best three-point shooter. Ryan, I don't know about you, bro, but Tobias Harris can't be your best shooter from behind the art, bro. It's just not It's not in his DNA. It's not that he can't shoot the rock. It's not that he can't even do it at a fishing clip. But when you know that he's the only guy that's a true threat to shoot it from that far, really, at a, at a, at a high clip, people are going to play closer up on him. He's not going to have the same kind of spacing, despite the kind of space that Ben Simmons creates with his passes and different things like that. Now Philly's in a position right now with the guys that they've picked up, Danny Green, Seth Curry, um, where the spacing is going to be very, very much more significant. And that's going to allow Tobias Harris to be maybe the third best three-point shooter who can still create off the bounce, still do actions with Joel and B, things like that, where he can actually play his game. I think another thing to take into consideration is one could argue, I think it's actually easily uh, proven through most of the statistics. If you take a look at them, Tobias Harris actually had his best season in, in LA with Doc Rivers. I think Doc Rivers definitely takes advantage of having big men who are relatively well-rounded skill-wise. I think that Joel Embiid's going to benefit from that as well. Blake Griffin obviously benefited from that. DeAndre Jordan, despite being just a rim-running freakish athlete, benefited heavily under the Clippers system. Now, maybe that has something to do with Chris Paul being the person passing the rock, but you have Ben Simmons passing the rock, and I don't think from a talent standpoint, the ability to assist the ball is that far off. So, I mean, there's that. DeMontis Sabonis... Is is coming off of injury, but he's also coming off of his best season. I mean, he's shooting, you know, somewhere close to 40% from three-point range. He's a guy who I think Indiana wants to be able to feature more in this offense. I understand that Victor Oladipo is that guy, but I also think that Victor Oladipo's time is slowly coming up. And um, I think that that means DeMontis is going to have to take some kind of next-level leap. And he's already shown signs he can do that. Last year, like I said before, Andy was an all-star, so I think that's a big step already in the right direction. I think the most interesting thing for DeMontis that can move him up or down this list is how he plays next to Miles Turner. It's been a really it's been a really wishy-washy thing with them in terms of their production next to each other. It's kind of why I thought that Miles Turner was going to be Boston's target when they were trying to move off of Gordon Hayward. 
I felt like having another small forward slash ball handler for Indiana would have been a lot more beneficial for them than having two bigs who kind of do or kind of want to do the same things and it kind of gets in the way of one another. But I think DeMontis was able to work around that to a certain extent last year. And Miles Turner is still a guy who, you know, likes to likes to shot block around the rim. He's a little slow to it. He's also very instinctual, which gets him in a lot of foul trouble situations. But overall, I think he's a good rim defender. So I think DeMontis Sabonis has a good guy behind him. It's just how about it's just about how they, you know, work with one another. And then like I said, obviously Blake Griffin. When healthy, I think he could actually be higher up this list. It's just the fact that we have to say when healthy and so forth with that being the case, you know, I can only put him at five. So when we're talking about when healthy, three of the four players that I mentioned, I pretty much placed because of the fact that um, when they're healthy, they could be some of the best players in the game. I'm talking about DeMontis Sabonis. I'm talking about Blake Griffin. And I'm talking about Kevin Love. I think those three players can easily be three of the top power forwards in the Eastern Conference for all the things that you mentioned. I think Kevin Love, it kind of depends how much of a role he's going to have in the Cleveland offense, considering it looks like it's going to be more revolved around Colin Sexton. And it should be, considering that he's been one of the top point guards in the league. And he's also an underrated point guard at his position. For Tobias Harris, I think it's just more about how he gels at the power forward position with this new team because Philadelphia no longer has Al Horford. So with Tobias Harris taking over the power forward position, I want to see how he improves because last year it wasn't as good. He did not perform well in the playoffs. I could point out one game specifically, a 27-point loss in game two to the Celtics where he shot 4-14 from the field. And given that, yes, he, he put up 13 points and 10 rebounds, he shot 4-14 from the field, and he really didn't have a good shooting performance until game four when Philly was swept by Boston. DeMonte Sabonis, like I said, another guy went healthy that could be one of the best power forwards in the uh, Eastern Conference. I think Sabonis is going to have a much larger role, like you said, in the offense, considering that I think if you pair him with Miles Turner, they could be a great front court duo given Turner's ability to dominate in the post, dominate in the paint, and then Sabonis being able to expand his game in the mid-range and in the perimeter. I think that's something that Indiana should be looking forward to. I think they have a great duo, and I think that Sabonis could be a feature part in the offense depending on what happens with Victor Oladipo. So that's going to be interesting as well. And then Blake Griffin – Another guy where you say when healthy, he's one of the best players in the league. I don't think there's any doubt that throughout his career, Blake Griffin has been one of the best players in the league. But again, we always have to go back to the fact that he only played 18 games last year. So I think if Blake Griffin can stay healthy, he's a top five power forward in the Eastern Conference. I just think that Blake Griffin now is in a situation where Detroit is trying to make a playoff push depending on what you think of the acquisitions that they signed in the offseason with Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee, Jaleel Okafor. I think Blake Griffin is a guy who can possibly prove us wrong and then also maybe be the star player on this team outside of Killian Hayes, who it looks like is going to be their starting point guard. 
Yeah, I mean that's the biggest thing, right? And I mean with their with their acquisitions that they made, one could say that they have maybe over overestimated the contingency plan of being able to prepare for a guy like Blake Griffin potentially being out. Like you said, Dwayne Dedman, Jeremy Grant, just those two alone are really good fill-ins um, as role players at that position. But, you know, they even doubled down on it with Plumlee, you know. So, I mean, it was one of those things. And, I mean, they paid heavily, which, you know, kind of shows either their value in needing, you know, replacements for – Blake Griffin or shows signs that Blake Griffin might be a guy who might be on the move. Um, and you know, that'll, that'll sway things as well in terms of what his play looks like this season. Um, I think the elephant in the room that we should address before we wrap things up is we kind of understand that Giannis and JT at the top um, right now, they've kind of just shown us a lot, the, the, the most over um, a more consistent period of time. Bam Adebayo and Pascal Siakam are both coming off of seasons where their role was significantly increased in one way or another. Bam Adebayo was a guy who told Dwayne Wade that he was going to basically be a be a double-double guy, and he went out and did that. And um, he was the second-best player on that team. I think as you go throughout the playoffs, you could argue, was it Drogic? Was it Hero? Was it Duncan? Uh, but we, I think we have both have an understanding that Jim, it was Jimmy Butler and then it was Bam Adebayo. On the other, on the flip side, Pascal Siakam was asked to be the number one, if not the number two guy. I would say number one just based off how um, how things transition in terms of him being an overall two way player for their team. Um, Pascal was a guy who basically had to step up in the absence of Kawhi Leonard, who no longer is part of the Toronto Raptors organization, and. He took a huge jump last year. I feel like um, went kind of a little under the radar, but such as the Toronto Raptors, they typically tend to go under the radar. We have them flipped in terms of me having Bam Adebayo at three and you having him at four while having Pascal Siakam vice versa. So you have Pascal at three while I have him at four. What makes you feel as though Pascal Siakam is a better overall power forward right now than Bam Adebayo? So I'll be honest with you, Jalen. I almost wanted to put like a, a tie at the third position because Bam Adebayo and Pascal Siakam made huge improvements from last season to this season. You mentioned Pascal Siakam and how he took over the Toronto offense with Kawhi Leonard leaving to go to the Clippers. I actually saw the same thing with Bam Adebayo because like you mentioned when he said to Dwayne Wade that he's going to become a double-double machine and he became a double-double player, he almost improved in a way. And I think that it's almost like he took the keys to the franchise. Pascal Siakam now has the keys to the franchise. So it's easy to say that both Bam Adebayo and Pascal Siakam are franchise players. But obviously, you know, we have to factor in that Toronto has Fred Van Vliet, who just got paid, and then... Miami has Jimmy Butler, who got a well-deserved three-year deal. So I think that in terms of what makes Pascal Siakam better than Bam Adebayo, I would say his versatility on the floor. Bam Adebayo is a great player. I just think that the skill set of Pascal Siakam is slightly better than Bam Adebayo's, especially defensively and being a two-way player, being able to shoot efficiently from three and then being able to be a solid defender as well. I think Bam is a great player on the defensive side. I mean, we've seen it in the in the playoffs when he's grabbing rebounds, blocking shots. And I just think that shooting-wise, 
from the field, Bam Adebayo is slightly better from the field. From three, he's only shooting 14%. Pascal Siakam shooting almost 36% from three. So I think if Bam Adebayo develops a perimeter shot, he could be one of the better power forwards in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you. This was like a serious toss-up. And I think, you know, for me with Bam, it's just simply the fact that I feel like he has his pulse on the franchise in a way that I think Pascal doesn't. I do believe that Pascal is considered to be the best player on Toronto right now. But I think that you could argue that Bam Adebayo is more important to the franchise for Miami moving forward than what Pascal is to Toronto. Toronto is a very interesting situation, especially with their depth. They have so many guys that they're working on developing. I think OG Adenobi, we spoke on that during the small forwards uh, segment for the Eastern Conference. He's a guy who I think is going to be asked to do a lot more. Kyle Lowry is in, in his last year, basically, with Toronto um, in terms of uh, his, his contract. Fred Van Vliet, like we keep mentioning, secured bag, but I think he's a guy that they're going to want to build around as a you know I feel like the league is built from the guards down and Pascal Siakam is one of those guys who I think is slowly going to be um a featured guy who simply is a never a superstar caliber player but a second or third best option on a championship team kind of like what he already played as when he was the third best player behind Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard I think that's kind of Pascal's ceiling is being the third best player on a championship team I believe that Bam Adebayo is capable of being the second best player on a championship team and I think he kind of displayed that in the past playoffs where he was indeed the second best player um I think if you had to go if you had to chop it down to a coin flip I think Offensively, they're both extremely sound. I think defensively, they're both extremely sound. I think they both play um, relatively well on both sides of the floor to the point that they can cover, I would say, at least three through five. I would argue maybe that they could both cover the guard positions, but I think it depends on what guard you're messing with. And I think the needle mover, if I had to concede, would just be that Pascal can stretch the floor um that's the biggest asset like you touched on beforehand north of 35 percent from the floor if you shoot better than league average at the four position you have stretch four capability and that's like extremely valued in the nba now today so i mean that's even why tobias harris was um you know as high on this list as he was because honestly if we couldn't shoot the three he probably would be under a guy like john collins who i have on the list so um the fact that he's a stretch four is huge but um yeah, I think that both of these players have a really bright future. I, I think Bams might be brighter, but these are two guys that I think we're going to see kind of battle it out for that third, fourth spot for a while. I think Jason Tatum could potentially take one more, you know, take one more step. I think last year was really interesting seeing the ball in his hands as much as we did. And Gordon Hayward officially being off the team, I think might finally unlock Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So I think the argument that we might go into next season with is not Bam versus Pascal, but it might be Giannis versus Jason Tatum in terms of who's number one. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which player on our list do you believe will have the better season? Bam Adebayo or Pascal Siakam? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.